Hey, Brother Vaughn, let's stand and take our Bibles, please. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture this evening and uh, focusing on one thought. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And while you're doing that, turn to John chapter 5, verses 24 to 29. Daniel chapter 12, John chapter 5 tonight. We'll do a little bit of a study this evening. I pray be encouragement before we get into the Lord's table and hope you'll take some good notes tonight. It'll help encourage you or maybe fill in some blanks that maybe you never thought about and you've read about this, but you've never really kind of thought about what does this all mean there. And I want you to just look this with me, if you would. And uh, some of what I'll say tonight might be a prelude for a series we'll do in the fall as part of our fall program. And I uh, want you to be in prayer for that. Daniel chapter 12. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Verse 1. And at that time, this is talking about the great tribulation, just so you know, time-wise, okay? That's not now. That's going to be when we're gone. Amen? Amen. At that time, shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since, uh, since there was a nation even to that same day. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one of them that shall be found written in the book. Notice verse 2, if you would, and maybe I might even underline that. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Would you read that with me, verse 2? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Right in the margin of your Bible, that's talking about two resurrections. The first and the second resurrection. Now keep your Bible there, keep your finger there, and go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 24, there's more we want to read, but for time, I don't have time to read all of that this evening. John chapter 5, verse 24 to 29. Follow as I read, please. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Say amen to that. Amen. Well, you, you get worried about am I saved or not? You got to go to John 5, 24. Amen. You were passed from death to life. But notice, Jesus is not finished speaking. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming. And now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. Now that's one of the great thoughts there that proves the, the oneness and the equality of, of the coessence of God the Father and God the Son. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Our Father, tonight, to you belongs all the glory. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. And tonight, that's all we've tried to do, Lord, for the last 72 hours, 
is to lift Jesus up. And God, thank you as we have in our endeavors tried to lift him up. Thank you, God, for the many that you drew to yourself. Thank you for the ten known, confirmed salvation decisions and perhaps a half dozen or more assurances of salvation. Thank you today that the incorruptible, precious seed of your word was sown in hearts today and yesterday and the day before and throughout these last few weeks. And thank you, God, for the ground it's in. And we're praying for many more salvation decisions that will come forth. We pray that ones that were that that those who did make decisions today and last night, that God, they will go forward and take the next step of following the Lord of scriptural baptism and getting going on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, there's so much you're doing. We give you thanks for and we do pray, God, you'll help us as we follow through with the hundreds of visitors and guests that came through and getting them in the different capacities again, the gospel, them getting the church and all those things. But tonight, Lord, we we only touched on one aspect of the doctrine of the resurrection. And I felt, Lord, as these, these weeks have been moving on that you have led on my heart, that our church needs to be made, we need to be informed and we need to be, we need to know our Bibles concerning the matter of the resurrection, especially the fact that the Bible teaches about two resurrections. And tonight, may you help us this evening to be excited and yet to be cautioned. To, Lord, to be exhorted and to see a warning. And tonight, would you help us, even though we're coming off a great, great weekend of victory, I'm still reminded today, there's a large segment of our communities that are without Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, Lord, tonight, would you refresh our spirits, revive us. We knew our outward man is perishing, but we pray this evening that our inward man would be renewed tonight. Bless our service, speak to hearts. Could it be that tonight, or should it be that someone here is not saved, we pray this evening before the night's over, they trust Christ as Savior. Thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we have the Lord's table, I want to take a few moments for us this evening just to do kind of a study this evening about the two resurrections. They're called the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The Bible, there's so many scriptures to read, we don't have time. But I do want to say this, I'm thankful for the resurrection of our, of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he said, whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Then he's asked this question, believest thou this? And we're thankful tonight that Jesus lives. And we're thankful tonight for the hope of the resurrection because we know it's a living hope. And we know that it gives us assurance that we know that we are kept by the power of God through salvation. There are two coming resurrections that the Bible speaks about. They're separate, separate resurrections. They have huge ramifications. We need to be well informed about what these resurrections are because our desire for everyone we know that's not saved. And as a soul winning church, we want people to be part of that first resurrection. I want you to see some things tonight because as I consider the resurrection, I, my mind goes this evening, my heart goes to John chapter 11, which we're not going to read, but to John chapter 11, the great incident where Jesus went to Bethany, where Lazarus had died, and he'd been laid in the grave for four days. And of course, Mary and Martha were, were very burdened and upset and disappointed and disillusioned. And they said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would still be living. And they had gotten to the place where maybe you're at right now tonight, and, and we'll all get to at some point in our life every now and then, where our, our, our life is prefaced with the word if. We think, well, if God will do this and if God will do that. And uh, sometimes we doubt whether or not God, God's power, and sometimes a disappointment comes along the way, 
and we kind of relegate that God is kind of equal to us on that level. And we're wondering what's going on. And Jesus went to that to the grave site where Lazarus was. You remember that Jesus was there and he wept. I mean, he felt the the, the sorrow and the pain and the grief of, of weeping over over him. But then he told someone to move the stone away. And Jesus said two words, which is the title of tonight's message. He said, come forth. And we said that, come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. It was a command for Lazarus to come out of that grave. Now, I believe that when we, when the Lord raptures us, I was kind of thinking this through. Is he going to say, come forth? Is he going to come up hither? Well, as you look at Revelation 4.1, I believe that Jesus is going to tell us, come up hither, because there's no need to come out of a tomb. We're going up to be with the Lord. Amen. And uh, we're, we're, we're saved and we know the Lord, we're going to be with him. But we know tonight that those two words come forth were a command of the Lord for Lazarus to come out. And so tonight I want us to see some things about this resurrection as the Lord will be beckoning to those dead in Christ to come out of their graves to be with him. First of all, would you notice with me tonight the absolute fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the resurrection, if you would, is an absolute fact of scripture. Revelation 118, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, brother, sister in Christ is a doctrinal essential. It is a doctrinal essential. You can't cannot read 1 Corinthians 15 without being gripped with the fact that if Christ be not risen from the dead, then our faith indeed is vain. Listen, the differential between us, between Christianity, biblical Christianity... And any other faith is the fact we have a Savior that's risen from the dead. You go to the tomb, you go to the grave of any religious leader, of any philosophical movement, whatever it may be, any king or magistrate, whatever it may be, the people go to visit bodies. But listen, if you want to go with me to the Middle East and you want to go with me to Jerusalem, we're not going there to look for body. We go look in that tomb and that body is gone. Jesus is risen from the dead. We know it's a doctrinal essential. Notice Matthew 28, verses 1 to 6. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. And notice these words, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now go back with me as we pull all the chronological events that the Gospels give us from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They're all exciting, but you got to piece them all together. And it was early in the morning and it was, uh, it was at the end of the third day. It was early Sunday morning. We're not really sure exactly what time. We do know that the Jewish day began at 6 o'clock in the evening. And it was way before the sun came up. We know it was dark. And Mary Magdalene, some other women were going there. When we read John chapter 20, the focus is on Mary Magdalene. And she sees that the, t- the, the stone is rolled away. And, the, and, the, and then she's concerned. And she runs back. And she tells Peter and John. And, and of course, you know, she saw the angels so forth there. And they tell Peter and John. And Peter and John, you know, they're always in competition with each other. And they start running there. And John outruns Peter and makes his way there first. And John sticks his head inside that tomb. He looks inside. He sees the grave clothes. And he comes out and the Bible says he's seeing he believed. You see, they were still struggling as believers like you and I do. They were at the place where they, they, they had not come to the place where they believed and then said, I'll see. They were still at the place in life where many of us are at. We have to see first and then believe. Oh, beloved, if we could just grasp in 2018, 
Faith is seeing the invisible. It's believing God's word and taking it for what it's worth and not having to say, well, I'll be like a Thomas and be skeptical and say, if I see, then I'll believe. We need to be people that can see the Red Sea opening. And we need to be people that can see God holding the sun still. And we need to be people that can see God opening the Jordan rivers. And we need to be people that can see God moving the tomb away. And we need to be people that can see God putting up buildings even if we don't have money. And we need to be people that can see God calling preachers out of Heritage Baptist Church and going out and starting churches in the area. And we've got to be people that can see God making a difference in this area. It's not liberalism that's going to take control of the area. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that takes control there. We've got to be people that can see and have the ability to see that we, we see the invisible. We believe the impossible and we'll watch God do that which is invincible. And so we see that here that they were, they, he looked inside, he believed. And then Peter stuck his hand inside. He w- actually went inside the tomb and he saw the grave clothes lying there as if there had been a body there. Jesus' body came right out of those grave clothes. But he saw something that, that, that caught his attention. The Bible says that he saw the napkin that was about the head that was neatly folded and put down there and laid there. And you see the folded napkin was a reminder to them whenever someone took a napkin... And they folded it up and put it down. That was their way of saying, I'm coming back. I'll come back again. Don't worry. I'm here, but I'm coming back again. And he knew, he says, he's alive. He's not dead. But he was wondering in his mind, listen, and all that came together. Then that evening, Jesus came and went inside that upper room where the disciples who were discouraged and disillusioned and, and, and they were down in heart. Jesus came and gave them encouragement. He said, peace be unto thee. And there on that, on that night, they had the first Sunday evening service. And it's kind of neat to have a Sunday evening service on resurrection sunday amen the miracle of god christ's resurrection and i'm telling you tonight as we consider the resurrection jesus christ think about the words he said in verse six fear not ye for i know that you seek jesus which was crucified he is not here for he is risen as he said come see the place where the lord lay and i know i said this morning but aren't you glad this morning he's not dead but he's risen and aren't you glad this morning, this evening, he's not defeated, he's risen. And aren't you glad today, he's not some sarcophagus laying in some Egyptian pyramid, he's risen from the grave. And aren't you glad tonight, Jesus Christ is not a liar, he's Lord. Aren't you glad tonight, he's not a memorialized icon, he's risen from the grave. He's not buried where no man can find him. Listen, he is risen from the grave. The government could not hold him. The Roman seal could not hold him. The boulder not, could not keep him back. Death could not claim its prey. Jesus is risen from the dead. Thank God for that tonight. Oh, thank the Lord tonight for a doctrine essential. But go with me to 1 Peter 1. And what you notice in verse 3 to 5, we see a dependable encouragement. We, as we consider the able, this, this fact of the resurrection, we consider the fact that it's a dependable encouragement. Peter wrote this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through salvation, uh, uh, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And all I want to say tonight about these verses of Scripture is that it's the guarantee of a living hope. It's the guarantee that salvation is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what God has done already for us. God does the keeping. Aren't you glad about that tonight? If you and I had to do the keeping, we'd be in serious, serious trouble. And we're thankful tonight that God has reserved a place in heaven for us. And we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's a guarantee of an unchangeable retention. Michael Faraday and you, you, you parents who are uh, homeschooling your kids or they're in school, you ought to make sure your children read about some great Christians. And one of them is Michael Faraday. 
Faraday, who was a great Christian scientist, if you were not Christian scientist, the cult, but a Christian who was a scientist. Amen. And uh, and he was a great Christian and scientist, I should say. And as he was dying, some journalists gathered around him because of the major contributions he made to the scientific community. And they asked him this question. They questioned him as to his speculation about life after death. They said, well, do you speculate there's a life after death? And I like Michael Faraday's response while he's on his deathbed. He said, speculations? I know nothing about speculations. I'm resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and because He lives, I shall also live. Aren't you glad about that tonight? We have the dependable certainties because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God tonight for the absolute fact. But notice secondly, very quickly tonight, would you notice our, 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 the context of our scriptures that we're studying this evening? Would you notice an anticipated future? The two resurrections, I want you to notice with me tonight, deal with an anticipated future. It hasn't happened, but Jesus said the hour is coming and yet now is. And the Bible says in Daniel 12, 2, there's a day coming when those who are asleep in the dust shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Now, number one, this evening, I want you to notice as we consider the anticipated future, I want you to consider with me tonight the first resurrection. The first resurrection. First of all, would you notice that, number one, it's a third, there will be a thorough exaltation. Jesus said, the hour coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. The resurrection of the believer. Now, the first resurrection is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. It's of the believer. When we are, when we'll be taken up to heaven. When the dead in Christ shall be taken up. It is the, it is the, it is, it is, if you would, if I can call it this way, the final aspect of redemption. It is when glorification occurs. Remember, salvation has three aspects to it. If you would, justification. Justification. Justification means just as if I never sinned. Justification means we are saved from the penalty of sin. When we get saved, as people got saved today, they were saved from the penalty of sin. Sin no longer. They're no longer under the consequence of sin. They're going to hell. They are saved. And the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justification, we're saved from the penalty of sin. But now that you're saved, now you're in this aspect of salvation we call sanctification. Now, sanctification, you need to read Romans 6 to understand the power of that because we're not to let sin reign in these mortal bodies. We're to live the victorious Christian life. And sanctification means this. Sanctification means we are now free from the power of sin. We are to live not in the power of sin, but in the power of Jesus Christ. Justification, we are free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we are free from the power of sin. Now, what we're living today, we're to live for Jesus Christ. When I talk about sanctification, another word synonymous with that is the word holiness. It's living for God. It's godliness. You and I are living our sanctification. Our goal and desire, God's goal and desire for us is that we draw closer to the Lord, not farther from the Lord. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. But it's not complete there. It's not complete with justification. It's not complete with, with, with sanctification. Thank God we're saved and thank God we're going to heaven. But when we go to heaven, that's the final act of all of this. It's what we call glorification. Glorification is what Romans 8, listen to Romans 8 says, is what Romans 8 says about us in verses 22, 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Glorification, watch it. Justification, we are free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we're free from the power of sin. But praise God, glorification, we are free from the presence of sin. 
Isn't that great? And that's great stuff there. I mean, you have to just be reminded about that. So when you when you consider this matter of the first resurrection, which involves believers and the dead in Christ, understand this. It's a thorough exaltation. We are going through it. Our bodies are changed. We're not going to be the same like we are. We're going to have a body just like his, Philippians 3.21. But I want you to understand tonight, in the first resurrection, in this first resurrection, we must understand that it occurs in three stages. In this first resurrection, we have, first of all, the first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15.20. The first fruits says this, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them to slip. When Christ rose from the dead, that began what is called in the Jewish harvest, the first fruits. You read about this over in Leviticus chapter 23, I think verses 20 to 22 or so. Not only was Christ resurrected, but there were Old Testament saints that were resurrected. They came out of their graves. We read about that in Matthew 27, verse 52. When the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. That is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. But notice, if you would, we have the first fruits and then we have the gathering. Now, the gathering is what we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. The gathering it basically is the dead in Christ and we who are raptured. The gathering is, was that major part of the Jewish harvest. There. Are you taking notes? And I hope you understand this tonight. Don't, don't, don't say, well, okay, I'll worry about that. Hey, that's something you and I are part of. It's a glorious thing there. And it's a gathering. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. The Bible says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now those asleep are the dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I believe that's when he's going to say, come up hither. And with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And notice this. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. First fruits is, is Christ. Those Old Testament saints. The gathering, if you would, are the dead in Christ. But there's a segment still, still to be resurrected. You see, when the rapture occurs, we are before we go up, the dead in Christ shall go up. But there's a, there's a time frame after that called the seven-year tribulation that Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 talks about. And during that seven year tribulation, there will be people saved during that time. And a vast majority of them will be Jewish people get converted during that tribulation period. But those people, as you read through the tribute, as you read through Revelation, those people will suffer terrible persecution and martyrdom and beheadings and bloodshed and things like that. And they're recognized. God recognized them. And that group of people, as you turn to Revelation chapter 20, they represent the third segment, which we call the gleanings. So we have the first fruits and we have the gathering. And we have the gleanings. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20 and notice verses 4 through 6, please. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Now watch it. As John has seen this, what's going on. Where's Jesus in all this? Jesus already returned to earth, Right? Second coming, Jesus already turned to earth. He's establishing his kingdom on earth, the millennium starting. And John is recognizing as God, Jesus Christ has dealt with all those who've, who've assembled in the valley of Megiddo to fight against him. Jesus Christ is establishing his kingdom on earth. And John, as he's seen this revelation go forth, the, the, the beast and the false prophet have been cast into the lake of fire. And Satan has been, is being bound up for a thousand years with the chain. And for a thousand years, Christ is going to rule gloriously on planet earth there. And so John, as he sees this at this initial stage, 
of that millennium kingdom. He said, I saw thrones and they that sat upon him and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands. And notice they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who is that segment? Those are the believers who are killed during the re- during the tribulation time that are raised at that time when Christ returns. Those are the gleanings. Our first resurrection is in three segments. We see the first fruits. We see the gathering. We see the gleanings. Notice in verse 5 it says this, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection. The this is referring to verse 4. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And on such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, that's a whole different message about what are we doing during the millennial period and these thrones and and things of that nature and all that. That's a whole different message. But what I want you to catch tonight is that it's a thorough exaltation. The first resurrection encompasses three segments or three aspects, if you would. There's the first fruits. There's the gathering. There are the gleanings. When Jesus talks about the resurrection to everlasting life. When Daniel talked about the resurrection to everlasting life, he's talking about all of us who are the dead in Christ. He's talking about these three segments, if you would. The first fruits, which is what he initiated. The gathering, which we'll be a part of. And then the gleanings, if you would, of those during the tribulation period. But notice the second thing tonight. There's a thorough exaltation. But notice, secondly, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, notice there's a total eradication. And we must not lose sight of something about this matter of the resurrection. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, and again, I, I don't have time. I, I like to read all the preceding verses because it helps amplify what we're going to read. But notice 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, it's a mystery it was not spoken of until Paul wrote about it. People had questions about it and God's answered the question. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You might want to write in your margin. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is is thy sting. O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And the Bible says in verse 57, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory. The context of the word victory is victory over death. Listen, death is a terrible foe. Death separates us from loved ones. Death is a terrible foe. That means your life here is ended. Death is a terrible foe. There is no science. There is no medicine. There is no cure that can prevent death. Death is inevitable. It is appointed to men once to die. And after this is the judgment. But bless God, according to 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Listen, tonight, when we look at this, there's eradic- when the resurrection occurs, there's eradication of death. There is no more death as far as we're concerned. There is the death of death of anything there. Death is swallowed up in victory. The last enemy, death, is destroyed. Death has no more power over the believer's body. Mortal becomes immortal. Incorruptible becomes incorruptible. Praise God, we are just like the Lord Jesus Christ there. 
Joseph Parker, who succeeded Charles Spurgeon at the great Metropolitan Tabernacle as a preacher. Joseph Parker was one of the great preachers of the day. If you can get any of his sermons, they'll bless and encourage your heart there. And Joseph Parker, the year that his wife passed away in the early 1900s there, his, uh, she passed on, they were asking him about what wording did he want to put on her headstone. And he had trouble with the idea of putting, putting on their, the words born and then died because he just had a trouble with the words died. And as he prayed over that, he says, I don't want you to put the words died. I want you to put the words ascended. Not long after that, Joseph Parker came under an illness. And Joseph Parker was about, was about to pass his life. As he graduated, this is what they put on the headstone of Joseph Parker. Born April 9th, 1830. Ascended November 28th, 1902. Let me tell you something tonight. When I'm dead and gone, if you're still alive here too, you put on my tombstone, born and ascended. Amen. Not dead, but ascended. He's still alive. Amen. He's still living there. Kind of like the little boy there. The little boy had rehearsed for a Christmas, for an Easter play. He was supposed to get up and his, and his words were to say, uh, he, t- he is risen. He, he, uh, don't be afraid. He's risen. And the boy was all set and ready to go. And as he got up to the platform, he says, don't be afraid. He's not, he's not dead. He's in prison. And, uh, you know, he meant to say he's risen, but he said he's in prison. I want to tell you today, when you get saved, when Jesus takes you, you're not in prison. You are risen. Amen. Thank God for that. I'm thankful tonight for the story of a preacher by the name of W.B. Henson. And Henson, the year, the year after he contracted an illness, he was taking a walk there and his friends told him this. He said, they said, you know what? They said, W.B., he said, you're going to have to go to your death. There's nothing you can do. The doctors don't have a cure. There's nothing you can do. And he took a walk one day. He said, I walked out to where I lived, five miles from out the city. And he said, I did this walk, but it was more meaningful to me at that moment of time than ever before. He said, I looked at the mountain that I love, and I looked at the river in which I rejoice, and I looked at the stately trees that are always God's own poetry to my soul. Then he said, he waited out there. And then he said in the evening, he said, I looked up into the great sky where God was lighting his lamps. And he said this, I may not see many more times, but mountain, I shall be alive when you're gone. And he said, river, I shall should be alive when you see running towards the seas and stars. I should be alive when you have fallen from your sockets and the great downpulling of the material universe. You know what? I think he had it right. We're still alive. Everything else will vanish and everything else will be dead. But you and I will still be alive. Aren't you glad about that tonight? We see a total eradication. We see a thorough exaltation. But you notice in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, we have a trusted exhortation. The prospect of a future resurrection is an inspiration for victorious Christian living. And that's why we have the service tonight, because we're not filling. It's not a filler. It's not because we don't have anything better to do. It's not because the pastor wants to control your life. That's the farthest thing I want to do. Amen. It's not we're trying to do all this thing. We're trying to understand something this evening. We are assembled here tonight because God loves us and God is interested in you and I having victorious Christian life. Amen. God wants us to live in victory, not in defeat. Listen, that's why we have a resurrection. If Christ be not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. It's hopeless. We're wasting our time. And notice in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord, Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, and the tomb was rolled away. And here are the two words. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He called him by his individual name. Listen, we had five people that we know of today that trusted Christ as their Savior. And we know of two last night that trusted Christ as their Savior. And we know of three that trusted Christ as their Savior on Friday night. Can I 
I tell you, there's salvation experience just like mine and like yours. Jesus Christ comes to the tomb where we're dead in sins and trespasses. And he says, Alan Fong, come forth. And he looks at you and he says, AJ Tadiarka, come forth. And he looks over at Aaron Lee, come forth. He looks at you and me and he says, come forth. He says, come out of those, that stinking old tomb. Come out of those old grave clothes. Come out of that cave. Come out of your predicament. Come out of your fears. Come out of your discouragement. Come out of your sins. Come out and live once again because you have life in Jesus Christ. He said, come forth there. Jesus told the people after he came out, and I'm not sure, I want you to imagine me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dramatize this, but I want you to imagine with me, the miracle of him coming out of the tomb was great because he was dead already four days, and his sister said, his, one of his sisters, but Lord, he's been there four days and he stinketh, you know what? I said, there, you can get around some people, they, they don't take a bath one day, they stink too, amen, you know? But, uh, here, here they said, man, you know, uh, decomposition is setting in, and they said, come out. Can you imagine he's bound head to foot with these grave clothes? Now, if you're bound head to foot these grave clothes, I don't know about you, but Jesus came out of those grave clothes. Lazarus is still in these grave clothes. How did he come out? I mean, did he do a Boris Karloff mummy thing? I'm not sure. And some people think that he hopped his way out. Kind of give an idea to hip hop, but I don't think so, man, you know. And he made his way out there. And as he came out, Jesus looked at him. They looked at this man and they said, you know what? Loosen him. He said, loosen him and let him go. Hey, you know, when you get saved, get out of your old stinking clothes and get out of the old stinking habits and get going for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let him go. Paul, while he was rotting in that Roman prison, wrote one of his most encouraging letters, the letter to the Philippian church. He loved that church. He had such great memories of its founding. And he made that great statement, that great verse in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Tonight, the trusted exhortation for you and I is to experience the power of that resurrection. Resurrection power is power over sin. And resurrection power is power in prayer. And resurrection power is realizing, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. And he goes on by talking about verse 4, to we're to mortify our members against certain types of sins. Listen, resurrection power gives us power over sin and gives us power in our praying and gives us power by faith to see God do the impossible. Resurrection power is what we saw over these last few days. It's so winning power and people, God, God saving souls. I took Brother Rich with me with a number of men this week and Brother Rich and I went out, I think it was Thursday, went out for the afternoon and we had not previously scheduled it, but he said, hey preacher, if you're available, uh, he said, if, if, you, if you don't mind, can I go with you? Go soul winning there. And I said, sure. And I gave him a time and we met up on Thursday, went on the street that my wife and I were about three weeks ago and Got some great people that were just in discussion with us and prospects. I said, he said, where are we going? I said, well, the Lord's just pressing my heart today. We need to go back to that street because I said that Saturday on the other side of the street, the Jehovah Witnesses were there. And I don't, I don't know about you, but it's hard to follow behind the Jehovah Witnesses because they leave such a bad taste in the mouths of the people that are there. You just don't want to be associated with that. So I said, let's just go back there. And, you know, from the very first house we went to, people were friendly and nice and receptive and just talking. And we left the door open so we could go back. And we went to a home as we were making a way and we we're being conscious of the time because brother Rich had to make an appointment. We came to a home, and I had been to that home uh, a few weeks before, like I said, with my wife. And, uh, and instead of the woman come to the door, before we got there, we were walking up, and we saw a man sitting on the pastor's side seat of the car, and he was cleaning his car out. And I saw him, and Rich saw him, and so Rich went one way, and I went behind the bush of the man. I went to his, his window, and I said, man, your car looks really good. I said, man, what, what are you using there? And we started talking for just a few minutes, and I said, but you know, I came here just a couple weeks ago and talked to your wife, and we started talking to him, invited him to the, Christmas, the Easter musical and things, and he just started engaging with us. And he made this, he made this interesting statement to Brother Rich and I. He said, he said, Pastor, 
He says, you know, I was down in San Jose. And he says, down in San Jose, I was with two of my kids when they were very small. And he says, you know, I don't know what happened. Our car kind of just broke down and was on the side of the road. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. I had the hood up and I tried to look like I knew what I was doing. You ever do that? Amen. You know, and try to look like I knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was very frustrated. It was a hot Saturday or whatever day afternoon out there out on the road. And he says, I don't explain this, but a man came up to me. He says, what's wrong with your car? And he said, I'm not really sure. He says, do you mind if I look at it? And, and the man started looking into it and got very helpful. And he started just getting involved. And I'm not sure what he did, but he fixed my car. And he said, crank up the key and turn on the engine. Started going there. He said, man, the guy fixed my car. And he said, I felt so indebted to the man. And he said, I, I reached into my pocket and I wanted to give him some money. He said, how much I owe you? And the man said this. He said, sir, you don't owe me anything. I just want you to do one thing. He said, what's that? He said, I want you to promise me you're going to go to church. He said, pastor, I promised that man I'd never gone to church. I think God sent you to my house today because I think I need to go to church, amen? And so he was there. Did I, didn't he say that, Brother Rich? He said that, right? He said, I think I need to go to church. And so, so I just said, you know what? I, I said, that's great. I'm so thankful that you feel that way. But I said, I have something better than that. I'm going to bring the church to you just right now, amen? And I just started talking about the Lord, about salvation. And you could watch as his face, as we just shared the scripture with him, open the word of God. God started working that man's heart. Hey, I'm thankful that man, Miguel Pena, on that afternoon, 45 minutes later, he said, I need to get saved right now. I'm willing to trust, put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As he got ready to get saved, his wife came out the door. She recognized me and said hello. And we started talking there. And Brother Rich knew what to do. He kind of took her aside and let, de- dealt with her for a minute. And the man got saved and he said, I'm going to get to church and you pray for him. He works a job that requires him work on Saturday and Sunday nights. And we're trying to find a way to get to him. We're going to see him tomorrow there. I'm just saying today, I told that man as he, after he got saved, I said, you know, the greatest thing happened to you, you experienced the power of the resurrection because that power just saved you from your sins. Amen. And so we're thankful tonight that God gives us encouragement, resurrection, Resurrection power is so winning power. And resurrection power enables us to be steadfast and immovable. Listen, we may be, we may feel right now that we're steadfast and immovable, but I'm going to tell you, the next problem, the next difficulty, the next distraction, the next, the next fiery dart from Satan will move you and me from being steadfast and immovable. Something will move you and get you agitated and get you off, off target there. I'm saying today, thank God we're past Easter, but listen, we're on the countdown for the new building going up and the opening of the new building and souls coming in and the dedication of the building and getting into the fall program. Program, the summer program and reaching so for Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about everything God is doing and I can't wait to see what he's going to do even more. Resurrection power gives you power to have strong convictions. Pastor, you don't understand the pressure. I do understand, but I understand this. Resurrection power helps you to have strong convictions. Resurrection power is the power to preach his word. Resurrection power is power that enables us to be always abounding. And I want to encourage you as we start the second quarter of 2018, let's be always abounding in Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you living in resurrection power? Are you thankful for what Christ has done? Are you thankful you're going to be part of that anticipated future? We're going to be part of that gathering in the sky. It's a wonderful thing. We see tonight... An absolute fact. We see tonight an anticipated future. But go back with me to John chapter 5 with, you, with me tonight, if you would. We've looked at the first resurrection. Now I want you to see the second resurrection, and then we're going to the Lord's table. We see an appalling fate. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. And notice this next one. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
John 5.29, they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection damnation. So what is the good and the evil? Does that mean, how does God decide who's good and evil? Let me tell you the, the simple word, the simple word. The differential is believe. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Those who are resurrected everlasting life believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead. Those who do not believe are those who wind up in everlasting hell. And e- by the way, an evil work is not believing. Read, read the book of Hebrews. If you don't believe, that's an evil work. It's called an evil heart of unbelief. Listen, if you don't have faith in God and you're unbelieving and your little faith, Jesus says that's a little faith. And by the way, the Bible says what is not a faith is sin. We must understand tonight, God wants us to have great faith. And we know he knows we have little faith. But when we have no faith at all, that's an evil heart of unbelief. And it hardens our heart. By the way, the more faith we have, the softer our heart. The more skeptical we are, the harder our heart. That's why Jesus came back eight days later to go visit with Thomas. Look for my God morning devotion this week entitled, The Cure, The Cure for Doubt. It's talking about how to, have, how to, over, how to be doubt free. You know, we talk about being debt free. We need to talk about being doubt free, amen. And it talked about how Jesus cured, gave an antidote, a cure for, for, for uh, Thomas and his life there. And I'm just saying today, as we look at this, evening we're looking at the second resurrection notice revelation 20 verses 11 15 as it describes the second resurrection the second resurrection is of shame and everlasting contempt jesus calls it a resurrection of damnation we know specifically it's a resurrection of judgment and separation the second resurrection if you want to get a timeline the second resurrection happens after the millennium the first resurrection happens before the tribulation culminates at the start of the millennium. And those of us who are part of that first resurrection will not experience the second death. Praise God. But the second resurrection is not to everlasting life. It is to everlasting shame and to everlasting contempt and to damnation. And we read about this in Revelation 20 verse 11. Notice, and I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. Listen very carefully to verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. That's not us. That's not believers. That's unbelievers. That's unbelievers. That's unsa- hey, that's your loved ones and my loved ones that don't get saved. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. It's roll call day. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And listen very carefully. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. And underline these words, according to their works. Their works are not going to commend them. Their works are going to condemn them. You say good works will give you in heaven. Your good works, all they will do is condemn you and, and determine the degree of your punishment in hell. To believe in good works is slapping God in the face and saying, I don't need your salvation. Listen, we need his salvation because there's not enough good in any of us to save ourselves. And listen to me tonight. You, when you read these verses, notice what it says here. In verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them. There's nobody unaccounted for in that. And they were judged, every man again, according to their works. 
And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, I don't have time to describe you and get into the book of life. Those who've been in the Sunday morning series I did, I did a message on that uh, uh, several months ago about that. Here's what happens. Your name is in the book of life the moment you're born. The moment you're born, you read your scripture, your, your name is in the book of life. But if you do not believe on Jesus Christ as Savior, your name is blotted out. You're blotted out. That's why Moses prayed. He said when Israel had messed up there in Exodus chapter 32 and they had messed up there with the golden calf, he said, he started praying. He said, Lord, I tell you what, Lord, he says, take my life. He said, Lord, if it will appease you, blot my name out of your book. He understood that. You read about that scripture. Listen, the book of life is not that you get your name written. Your name is already there. It's the question is, will your name stay there when roll call happens? And so notice what happens here. If you read these verses with me, notice what kind of judgment is the second resurrection? It's a judgment of your disobedience. It's a judgment of denial and declination. In other words, those this morning who decided not to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and those who you've given a gospel witness to and those who we preach to week after week who refuse to put off Jesus Christ, it is a judgment of their declination of saying, I don't need to be saved right now. Listen, you need to get saved right now. Judgment of disobedience. Every sinner is a disobedient person. We're all rebellious. Do you understand the word iniquity? It speaks about, it's the same word we get our word depravity from. I mean, that's how, that's, that's how God sees our sins. Our se- sins have separated between us and God. But notice, if you would, as he talks about their judge according to works, I believe this judgment will be a judgment of degrees. I believe there'll be serious degrees of punishment. I don't have time to go into that, but I'll give you some scriptures. Go look up. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Look at Revelation 21, verse 8. All who go to hell will spend eternity there, and there'll be different degrees of punishment according to their works. And if you read Revelation 21, it talks about some very heinous type of sins. I believe they will receive the very worst of the degrees of punishment there. You wonder what's going to happen there. But worse than all that, the tying it all together is a judgment of damnation. The unsaved throughout the ages will be raised up and stand at the great white throne judgment. Their works will not save them. As those books are open, their works will speak against them. And all God has to do is say, here's the book of life. Here's the book. Your name's not there. It's blotted out. Whosoever is not found, written the book of life. Notice what the Bible says. All of them are cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. Brother and sister in Christ, the second resurrection is one of shame, and everlasting contempt, and damnation. We're all reject and put off Jesus Christ. I'm saved. But every time I read Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, about the great white throne judgment, even for a moment, even for a moment, I shake and I shudder of that judgment. And Daniel, as he was given inspiration by the Holy Spirit, was told to write the words of shame. And the last thing You know, sin is kind of an interesting thing. First time you commit a sin, your conscience bothers you. If you get caught, you turn blush red because that's just how God made us. Amen. But you do it a second time. You do it a third time. 
You get to a place where it doesn't bother you anymore. And it's like I said Wednesday night, the progression goes, no shame, no stopping, no sense. And though the second resurrection will not affect majority, if not all the people in this room, I will say this to you tonight. If you've just played with God, you've never called on Jesus Christ to be your Savior. If you just prayed a prayer thinking that would just get somebody off your back, you need to find out tonight if you're really saved. Because we're not, we're not, we're not talking about children's games. We're talking about where you're going to spend eternity. Those who are part of the first resurrection. And thank God I'm thankful I'm part of that first resurrection. Amen. It's the everlasting life. Here's what Jesus describes it as. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not see condemnation, but is passed from death to life. You see, why are you bring up the message about the two resurrections? Because I, I thank God we give glory to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's the first fruits. There will be a gathering. There will be the gleanings. My question for you tonight as we go into the Lord's table. Are you someone tonight that will not be part of the first resurrection? And could it be? Could it be? You might wind up at the second resurrection of shame, everlasting contempt, and damnation. Do you know of someone that's not saved? That we need God to stir our hearts and be burning for them? Paul, when he was down at Athens, the Bible said, his spirit was stirred within him when he saw the city holy given to idolatry. And tonight, before we go to the Lord's table, maybe be reminded tonight, God is so merciful and so good to us. Aren't you glad about that tonight? So merciful and so good that He saved us. And on the day that you remember that you responded and accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, listen, the Christian life is not a game of chess. It's not a game of checkers. It's not a game of Monopoly. It's not politics. It's not trying to get ahead. It's not a spiritual competition. The spiritual life is getting closer and closer to the Lord. And as a church, let us endeavor tonight. As Paul was writing 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, after all those things, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for that you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's get our hearts ready. We're going to the Lord's table. Could it be tonight you're not saved? I invite you this evening. I invite you this evening. Humble your hearts now. Call on the Lord to save you. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Come up here and let me, let me help you to get saved tonight. And if you're not as close to the Lord as you could be, how about use tonight on this Resurrection Sunday to get closer to the Lord and draw near to Him and He'll draw near to you. And let Him touch your life and work in your life. And live in the power of that resurrection, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable to His death. Let's live in the power of that resurrection for Jesus Christ. Father, tonight, Your congregation, church, has worked so hard and been so loving. And though, Lord, tonight, maybe it's just kind of an elementary message for many who are familiar with what we've talked about, we do know, Lord, we cannot ignore what the Scriptures say about these resurrections. When Jesus spoke those words, he said, come forth. He told Lazarus, come forth. He will speak those words to us, come up hither. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive remain 
shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now, Father, tonight we're doing a moment of evaluation and confession. And Lord, as we give invitation, I pray that we, Lord, we be uninhibited and unreserved and recognize tonight that maybe the message is more than anything else as a stimulus to help us remind, remind us we've got folks we know that need to get saved. And that, Lord, there are folks we don't want to be at that great white throne judgment who will spend their life there. And maybe someone tonight is not saved. They need to get saved tonight. Oh, Lord, in your mercies, in your grace, in your goodness, draw men to yourself still even tonight. And so this evening we get the invitation. Lord, maybe you put somebody in our heart we need to pray about. And, Lord, maybe we just haven't been as serious for the Lord as we need to be. And maybe tonight's a good time to get serious for the Lord. And maybe, Lord, some of us need to realize we've got to just quit letting the pressures and things holding us back. And we need to come forth. We need to come out of that tomb. And we just need to be alive in Jesus Christ. Help tonight that, Lord, revival would start this evening. Bless and use this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. You need to come tonight. I open the invitation. If you need to come this evening, we ought to come tonight. We ought to be so sober-minded about this resurrection. Some will be raised to everlasting life. Some to shame. An everlasting contempt. There's somebody in your heart tonight. There's a lot of people in my heart tonight. Our cities, our area, our world. Let's take some moment to pray for our city. Let's take a moment to pray for family members. Let's pray for the Lord to work in that. And let's take a moment tonight just to say, Lord, help me to be sober about my life. Not to live my life and watch everything burn up and lose and be a loser at the end of the game. Let's run with patience to race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross, despising the shame. Is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, have your perfect way. How about you tonight? Do you know for sure you're saved? If you're not sure you're saved, I invite you tonight. Would you come? Would you call on Jesus to save anyone here tonight? You're not sure you're saved. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be sure I'm saved. Would you come? Anyone like that tonight? Anyone like that tonight? We're going to play another stanza. Would you come this evening? You come. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge tonight that you are holy. There's none like you. Your name is holy. Your essence is holy. All the attributes of God are an outflow of your holiness. And tonight, Lord, we bow before you in heart as unto a holy God. Prepare the hearts of our members for this Lord's table. We consider the elements of the bread, which represents the body of Christ. The fruit of the vine in that cup, which is a symbol of the blood of Christ that was shed. Lord, we've had such a wonderful weekend. Help us to tie it together in rejoicing because, Lord, you love us. And tonight we want to remember what you did for us on the cross. Use this time as a time of meditation and conviction and stirring tonight to your glory. We pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.